Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity here to be here with other believers. We thank you for the opportunity to share your word. We uh, thank you for those that have uh, done acts of love today for the saints, whether it's uh, preparing uh, messages or whether it's uh, putting food out, preparing food, and cleaning up after this. We, all these different things, Father. So many things that we can't even mention them all. Things that we don't always even see. And that you know all of them and you're the one that uh, plans them. You uh, motivate us. You empower us. And so, Father, in these things, you're the one that deserves the glory. We ask, Father, as we come to your word today, that uh, we would share your word and that uh, the saints would be edified and that you would get the glory in that. All right, we stopped last week in Ephesians 2. We were looking at the fact that in Christ, I am a part of the body of Christ. If you're a believer, that applies to you too. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you are part of the body of Christ. And when we say body of Christ, we're not talking about the local church. The local church is not the body of Christ. It is never called a body of Christ. But in Christ, we are part of what's called the body of Christ. Uh, he is seen as the head, and we are the body. The believers, all believers, from Pentecost to the rapture. Are the body. So that's found in Ephesians 2. If we look there together, we can read in verse 15. Let's read from verse 14. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished by his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments and ordinances, for to create in himself of the two one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So there's one body. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There is something all else called the body. All right? We're the body. One body. It's not two different. It's not a Jew body and a Gentile body. There are some that do that. Or they'll call it uh, the Gentile is the... How do they do that? Bride church. The bride church. No. Or the body. Or the body. <clears throat> now, so we looked through many passages on body of truth just to round out some knowledge about the body. We saw a lot of that relates to spiritual gifts and, and in, the, in the body. We all have a place in the body. We have a place of service. Now, we, all, we like to think, you know... Even our own bodies. I'm sure every one of us can say we have favorite parts of our body. I, I don't like my ears. I don't like my chest. I don't like, you know, whatever it is. Um, and in similarly, in the body of Christ, there's some people that might put more emphasis on one scripture gift over another. Some people like to be out front where people see them. Other people like to be in the background. Um, but we saw in these passages that you don't get to. You don't. You're not the one that picks it. God picks where you belong, where your area of service is. And that's your service down here based on where you're placed up there in the body, in Christ. Okay. As we saw a lot of the passages related to that, um, we stopped in Corinthians, but I want to go to Colossians 1. finish out 
following this line of truth. Not that we're being comprehensive. I never claim to be comprehensive. If I ever sound like I'm trying to be comprehensive, please kick me in the knee. Or what did you say Spit earlier? Spit in my eye. Spit in my eye. Colossians 1. The scripture says that we only speak out of a part. I'm not going to try to do more than that. <laughs> Colossians 1, verse, let's read from uh, verse 17. And it says, And he is, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he is before all things, and by him all things consisted. So this is the idea that the Son of God holds the universe together, even the different spirit beings in their realms of authority. There are different levels of spirit beings that have different amounts of authority, and Christ even holds them within those realms. They just even think of the universe. You know, I learned in my, I don't know what level of science it is. Is it? I don't know what it is. I'm not even going to say all sounds stupid. I'm not going to guess. In science, they talk about gravity, right? How, why do the planets orbit? And they get into this whole thing about how their masses and they attract one another, and this attracts that, and they, they repel and attract, and that's what keeps them all in their orbits. Wrong! It's Jesus Christ! It's Jesus Christ. Okay? In fact, some people want to speculate on what is going to destroy the earth someday. You know, according to Peter, it's a, it's what it's an unloosing. Everybody familiar with that? Over in Peter chapter three, it's an unloosing. So if if you know you can go down to the atomic level, the atom, and look at neutrons and protons and electrons and how they circle in the nucleus, right? And just a, in one single molecule. And they'll tell you how that's, again, it's positive and negative and that's what causes this rotation around the nucleus and, and that's what whole thing, things are moving all the time. Even the solid matter, you think it's not moving. Inside of this, these particles are all moving inside there. Well, what makes all that happen? Well, the scientists will tell you it's positives and negatives, right? And and that magnetism of positive and negative. And the, on the big macro scale, they say the, the orbits are all staying together because of this gravitational pull of two matters, right? The Bible says, no, the ultimate thing is Christ. Christ is the one that created it all. He's the one that holds it all together. And one day... He's going to let those things that we call the laws of nature in the human realm, he's going to say, mm, they don't need to hold together anymore. And you're, where's all that matter going to go? Scripture doesn't say it's an explosion, but it says it's going to burn up. Okay? I'll hear it too. Mm -hmm. um. It wasn't me. Right. <laughs> okay, so Colossians 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, 
the church. So think about what that just went through. Then it comes to this subject. He's the one that has all authority. He's the one that holds it all together. Spirit beings. And he's over the church. Boy, does that put us in our place a little bit? That put us in a place we think we're all that, we're all so great. Um, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence or the first place. For it pleased, for because of him, was well pleased that in him should all fullness dwell. He is the fullness, and in this context, of authority. All authority resides in him. There's nobody above him when it comes to these things. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in the heavens. And it goes on, okay? But you come down to verse 22. In the body of his death, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Since ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a servant. Now I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf, and fill up that which is behind of the tribulations or pressures of the Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. So he changes from talking about the physical body of Christ up in verse 22 down to the body he now is the head of that he created when he ascended on high at the Father's right hand. By his body's sake, and if you have any doubt, it tells you which is the church. See that? So, and remember what church is. What's the church? Is this talking about First Baptist Church of Royal City here? Well, I hope all of us belong to this, right? But it's not specifically talking about First Baptist Church of Royal City. It's talking about a called out group. That's what ecclesia means. The called out group. The called out group that was called out of Adam into where? Into Christ. The body of Christ. The church. Okay. We're um, I, Paul, am made a minister. It goes on. Look over in chapter 2 of Colossians. And you can read here. Um, verse. There's all kinds of positional truth in here that we will probably get to. But, um, but it doesn't hurt to hit it more than once just by over... You know, one of the best ways of learning is over-learning. Right? Repeat, repeat, repeat. And then when you get done doing that, repeat it again. And repetition is the mother of learning. So let's read from verse 11. Oh, man. Uh, there's so much here in this chapter. I'm just looking at it. Um, well, we're just going to have to cut in somewhere. Let's go verse 11. 
in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him by baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he made alive together with him, having forgiven us all trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Does that sound a little bit like what we read over there in Ephesians? Right? Right where we introduced body truth. And having spoiled principalities and powers. What did we read just the the chapter before this? Christ is in control of these different ranks of spirit beings. There's, right? And when you think, of, if that's confusing to you, what was what was uh, Satan? Was he a spirit? Was he a angel? Was he just a rank of angel? No, he was a cherub. He was higher than all of the angels. But was Christ in charge of his authority too? Oh yeah. Was Satan able to change and move his realm of authority higher? He wasn't, was he? He was at the he was in the mountain of God. Now he's not. He was in the mountain of God, ruling in God's kingdom, and then he wasn't. He still has a realm of authority, but he's not able to do anything God doesn't allow. Keep reading. Verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, what's that talking about? That's talking about, I believe, we have a couple other passages that hint to this. When Christ went into the grave for three days and three nights, Peter says he had a celebratory presentation down there. Now, that's why I'm for when they make a touchdown, let them dance. <laughs> okay, so that two hands popping up. Was that Christ saying you were trying to thwart this all through time, especially when you try to intermarry with humans so that the human see would be tainted, which means I would be tainted and you yeah, I, I won. I we don't we don't know what the the real because yeah. it doesn't tell us. Yeah, yeah. But when you look at it, who's he ta- who's he taunting? Well, I don't know if you want to use the word taunting, but I'm okay with using it, the word it's taunting. Those spirits that He's, he, it's those spirits that try to do that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So um. Yeah, that's what I believe it is. I believe they tried to pollute the seed yeah. of the woman, which was a yeah. promise, yeah. and uh, they weren't allowed to. And oh, they were allowed to, but they weren't allowed to prevail. And uh, Christ said, "No, I still came from the woman, and the seed of the woman is still going to crush the head of the serpent. I got a glancing blow, an injury, but I'm going to do a death blow. And that's what the work of the cross is. It's the nail in the coffin, and we're just waiting for the verdict, right? And the drama of redemption continues to roll out." God's plan continues to move ahead. Satan has actually becomes a pawn 
or a marionette puppet in God's drama of redemption. And it's just God gets glory. God gets, he doesn't need creation to get glory. He doesn't need you to be a, uh, to give, surrender your will to him. Right? There's a, There's been whole things all about that. God can get you to the place where you'll willingly do what he wants. He's so much bigger than us. And not just us. Every part, any aspect of authority that there is, any area of created being, God is bigger and smarter and knows more and more infinite. He's the epitome of infinite, right? So, let no man, therefore, 16, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to a holy day or of the new moon or of Sabbath days. Now, what's the implication here? You understand why that comes up? This all goes back to verse 9 and 10. It says, We are in the we, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So what that's saying is the glorified, resurrected human being, Jesus Christ, who prior to that he was only the Son of God. He was only deity. When he became a man, he joined himself to human nature. And he took on human limitations for a period. And then he took on sin at the cross. And he rose on high and sat at the Father's right hand. What this is saying is all that did not diminish him one bit. All the fullness of the prerogative of God of God dwells in him. And where are we? We're in him. And so in the next verse, and you are, having been filled, you have no lack in him. Down here, we feel like we have a lack, don't we? Until the rapture, we will. We're not going to be everything we're going to be until then. But we're complete in him. And we don't have to look to anybody. We don't have to look to anyone to make us feel full. How many of us are counting on somebody else for your happiness? How many? Who should be, who should we find our happiness in? Christ! Christ! If we realize that we are having been made full in Him, if we're not feeling happy, it's a a mental thing, isn't it? That's it all it is. But there's all of us. I'm not here to say you should never be unhappy. We all have points in our life that we're unhappy. Scripture says, those that are grieving, grieve with them. So I'm not I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you're ever unhappy. Don't take me wrong here. We, as long as we're in this life, we're gonna have emotions and they will get the better of us. Alright, at times. But the point is. We don't have to let it get the best. We don't have to grieve to the point of, of, it's the end of all things. Oh my God, I can't take it anymore. Like the unsaved. But in this context, it's pretty cool how this does this. We're complete in him. 
And it goes into, the reason he's dealing with these spirit beings so much in this book is because they were being taught improperly in the, in the place of Colossae. There was people going around saying that matter is evil, and so you should look to these spirit beings, because they don't have matter. They're spirits. But the problem, what's the problem with that if, if matter is evil? What's the biggest problem with that? Yes. But what about Jesus Christ? Did he become, did he, did, did he become matter? Yeah. yeah. The Son of God became a human being. He had matter. Was he evil? No, that's the big problem there. Matter is not evil. There's nothing evil in and of itself. You come to keep going here. We're going to a point here. Um, we're in verse uh, 16. So, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is the Christ. It belongs to Christ. Let no man beguile you of reward in a voluntary humility. And worshiping of angels, intruding of those things which have not, which he have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, from whom all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increase with the increase of God. Pretty cool in there. That's the body truth right there. Where's our nourishment come? I thought it came from that table right over there. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. That fed the physical. <clears throat> this is talking about the nourishment for the spirit, for the soul. Right? This is the nourishment, the immaterial nourishment, the spiritual nourishment. We're to look to our heavenly and how does our Heavenly Lord provide that nourishment? Through other believers, yeah. Yeah. But how do you want to be directly, do you want to be directly nourished by the Lord? Through other believers. That's how it happens. It's through other believers. So, if we continue and we jump over to chapter 3 of Colossians. And we read... Another pattern, and there's so much. Colossians is going to be almost as fun as Ephesians. When we get there, there's so much, so much on positional truth. So it says in Colossians 3, oh, let's read from verse 12. It says, put on therefore, and the, the therefore is on the basis of what he's previously said. And what has he previously said? That we put on the new man. And we already learned about the new man in Ephesians. That a new man is Christ resurrected at the Father's right hand with all New Testament believers from Pentecost to the rapture in him. So this is positional truth. Therefore, because of positional truth, because you're in Christ, because you have a new standing before God, because you're no longer in Adam condemned to hell, you're in Christ. Because of that. Therefore, what? 
Now I can sit back. Ah, it's all done. I'm in Christ. God's mind is set. I'm good. I'm made in the shade. <laughs> right? Well, that's what we do, right? In, uh, in the business world, you're always trying to beat your numbers from last year. Now, this year is a huge abnormal year because most retail had a huge year last year because of COVID, right? So there's some caveats to that. But, so most stores, you know, so what happens this year? There's no way you're going to beat it in general. So most retail businesses, they don't compare to last year. They're going to compare to 2019. So they don't have to be demoralized the whole year. It's always <laughs> right? That's what they, they play these games. They play these games. And it's the same way when I was in Frito-Lay. Uh, that was the whole game is that you beat your plan and you had to, they actually wanted 110% compared to prior. So 10% better than last year. And then what do you do the next year? You got to do 10% better than last year. And what do you do the next year? 10% better than last year. Of course. True that. True that. So that's true too. But Frito, they have these high standards, right? But what if you set a goal too high, there's unreasonable. What's going to happen? They play games, and I've I've seen this myself. How that on the one hand, that that high standard has made Frito Lay the number one sales company probably in the world. They hit their they own probably 80%, probably higher of the chip market, okay? And if a little Joe Schmo brings out a chip and they have success with it, what does Frito do? They copy it. They either buy it or they copy it. So they'll cut down their effectiveness in half, right? But what the, what the drivers learn to do is, well, if I beat it, if I do everything I can do this year, even though this, my particular store has a good, it has, it's, it's trending above what they plan. I'm only gonna go $1 above my plan because it'll just make next year that much harder. See, you get it? But I'd always say, get every dollar you can every year because something might happen next year and you might not have the chance to do it. it the, the whole economic landscape might be different. You don't know the future. Just go out there and do your best. And just do that. Right. So in a way, on the one hand, that that standard has made it free to lay the best, but in another way, it can hold them down because but they're trying to manage people, right? Imperfect people, right? Just like all of us. Now there's a reason why I was saying all this. Um, I shouldn't I should stay away from business metaphors because it gets me going. Um, the point being here, we're in the new man. We're talking about performance. You come down here to verse 11. All this, we're in Christ. We're part of the body of Christ. And it's all established who we are. Then you come down to verse 11 here and it starts to talk about the result from that. So in him, there cannot be Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. Christ is all things in all ways. In reference to our standing before God. He is all things in all ways to us. Verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. 
forbearing one another, and forgiving yourself. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ was gracious with you, so also do ye. Even as Christ was gracious with you, so also do ye. So, if you come against a, a Christian that's not very gracious, what's that say about their perception of the grace of Christ to them? Think about it that way. At that moment, they're really not appreciating. Either they don't think Christ was very gracious with them, Either they think they deserved how Christ treated them, which I would hope may never be, right? But most likely just at that moment, we're not internalizing that, right? At that moment. We can be really ungracious people sometimes. We really can. We can think, I worked so hard for this, and you need to work hard. You need to, you know, well, as a believer, I didn't really work hard for this. I didn't work at all. I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn it. In fact, what's the alternative? Alternative. I was going to hell. I was born going to hell. Not just in an overall way, but even after I was born, I was I was a sinner. Okay. And God changed that. Changed that for me, changed that for you. He dealt graciously with us. And you had some kind of standing in the world. You were a Greek or a Jew. You were either circumcised or you were either a barbarian or a Scythian. You were you you had one of these statuses. Maybe not exactly these, but you had a status in this world. Whatever it was. And it doesn't matter if it was something the world perceived as good or if it was something the world perceived as bad. It was nothing. You were still going to hell. You see it? Christ dealt graciously with you. And we're to treat other believers the same way. And above all these things, put on love which is the bond of maturity. Now, sometimes when people talk about the Christian life, all they talk about is love, right? Love is it. Love is... God is love. And they don't understand the statement, so they just think love is God, right? So love is the end-all, be-all. They go back to the 70s, and if that was the case, then the flower children would be the epitome of godliness. Right? We know this is a perversion of the truth, don't we? Now, what this tells us here is that love is the bond of maturity. Okay, right here. Let's see if I can get it off. It's a visual. I got a ring. Okay? I got a ring. Okay, so a bond is kind of like you've been tied up. You've been tied up. And... Okay, let's see if I can keep holding that. So if you were to cut this here, and this was the beginning, it would start with love. 
and then you would come down and there'd be something else and something else and something else and something else and you get to the top again and it would end it'd be the bond the end would be love the beginning would be love and the end would be love you see you see what we're saying that's what he's saying here love is the bond of maturity it's not the end all be all there's other things involved too to growth and maturity it's not all just love what are some other things in the Christian life other than love well we just thought in the context but on therefore as the elect of God holy beloved bowels of mercy so those inward feelings where you're, you're, you're merciful to others right It literally, uh, it's the Iktirmu word. Uh, you're moved by others' sufferings. That's the idea of this word. You're not just like a stone face all the time and somebody tells you about something bad they're going through and you're like, Ugh, I'm thinking about the rapture. And when we're at the rapture, we're going to be spiritual minded and we won't be affected by emotional things. You need to get your mind on the rapture. <laughs> How what? How uncaring. Even at the rapture, I'll still have a soul and I'll still have feelings. Okay. There's some perverted views on soul and spirit. People, we do. We get perverted views on it. We are human beings. We will always have souls. People go through tough things. Sometimes we go through, we have a hard life and we start thinking, oh, you had a tough time? Well, I don't care. Let's make it about me. I went through a hard time one time. And all you do is talk about your hard time when you should be listening to them. Right? Bowels of mercies. This is a part of maturity. Kindness. Kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is saying that, be that sweet reasonableness that puts others at ease. Okay? Have you ever... Um, we always like to think of the you know being the person that's always being kind to others. But have you ever been the person that needs kindness? You know? Have you ever been the person that needs kindness? Maybe you're a little awkward. Maybe you're the new one to the group. You don't know what the, what the customs are. Um, you know? You just feel awkward. Uncomfortable. Kindness can come in and put others at ease. Humility of mind. Humility of mind. Or uh, yeah, humility. Again, a lot of improper views on humility. A lot of people think, oh, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. You know, sackcloth and, sackcloth and ashes. Oh, you're bad? Well, I'm so bad. You thought you were bad. Oh, I did it even worse one time. And they're reveling in their unrighteousness. <laughs> the scripture says love doesn't do. The point of humility isn't to think of yourself less than you are. It's to see you as you are. Okay? It's to see yourself as you are. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm still a sinner, but I don't have to sin because I've been saved. I've been raised to the right hand of God. I have Christ living in me and the Father and the Holy Spirit. I'm not thinking of myself better than I am. 
I'm thinking to myself, as I am, I can't do anything without God's help. Well, verse 11, I'm grief, or I'm Jew, you're grief. Yep. I'm circumcised. Or... Mm -hmm. It's having a true humility instead of looking at yourself in the world's terms. I have, I am, I make this much money. I've done these, you know, I have these many, whatever it is. All those things Tim was talking about in the earlier message, all your trophies. Now, not that you can't have human pride. You can. But in respect to the things of God and to other believers, there's no, you know, sometimes you look at somebody and you go, don't you have any shame? That's kind of the flip side of pride, isn't it? You're better than that. Okay? So there's a healthy amount of self-worth self or whatever you want to call it. Meekness, another fruit of the Spirit, that controlled power that can stay focused on a goal. That controlled power that can stay focused on a goal. And long-suffering, which is actually part of love, isn't it? Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. First Corinthians 13, everybody remember that? So not only is love the beginning and the end, love's wrapped through the middle too. Isn't that kind of cool? Love is the bond of maturity. Put on love, which is the bond of maturity. Verse 15, and let the peace from God, or the peace of the Christ, umpire in your hearts. What is an umpire? It says rule in your King James, but what it, the word in the Greek is bravuito, which has the idea of an umpire, a referee. I've got arbitrator. Arbitrator, okay. And that's what an ump or a referee does. They are arbitrate on the spot. You know, the guy comes in for round third, the baseman said, the base coach says, go, go. They're throwing the ball in from the outfield, and it's good. You can tell already it's going to be a photo finish, and he goes across, and you can't tell from the stands. Is he safe or is he out? Everybody on the, on the same guy's team, they say, he's safe. Everybody on the other side, he's out. And they're really stating their hope, right? The ump says, safe. Or the ump says, no, not today. Here it's the peace from God, another fruit of the Spirit. It's the peace, and it's kind of interesting, depending on how you look at this peace. If it's the peace of the Christ, you think, well, why is it called the peace of the Christ? Well, how do you get access to the peace that's part of the fruit of the Spirit? You've got to go to your position in Christ, and then He will empower. Keep reading. To the which you are called in. You thought I was making all this up, didn't you? <laughs> You're called in one body. And be ye thankful. Oh yeah, where does thankfulness come from? Spirituality. Again, part of the Spirit's empowering work. Verse 16. Let the word of the Christ indwell in you richly. 
in all wisdom. This is talking about Christ. This isn't saying let Christ indwell in you. You already have Christ. This is talking about the doctrine of the Christ. Let that doctrine seep into that green matter. Let it marinate. I used to be a meat cutter, so I like the word marinate. Let it marinate. Okay? Let it sink down in there. Don't just go to church and go, oh, that pastor talked about positional truth today. He talked about uh, the new creation. Oh, that's nice. Put it on the, put it in your mental shelf where you store interesting truths that you can bring out at a discussion time. Okay. No, this is something for every day. Yeah. You know, who is meat something that you marinate and put away for just when the friends come over? No. When you marinate the meat, it's for every day. Eat, you want to eat. No, I, I don't get to eat every day. I have a heart attack. But there was a day when I did. My life's over. <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding, just kidding. I keep reminding myself, as long as we're, there's life in this body, there's something for us to do, right? All right, so let the word of the Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing by grace in your hearts to the Lord. And that concludes our uh, statement on body truth for this time. Our small survey. There's so much you could spend teaching through body truth, obviously. <coughs> Let's turn back to the book of Ephesians. And we move to our next point, which is the fact that in Christ, I am part of a building of God. In Christ, I am part of a building of God. Now let's just ruminate on that for a second. How much pride do we have as human beings on building? You know, maybe you don't personally, but in general, how much do we put into building projects and think about it, you know? Do you think this school project up here with the new school building, the Royal City, that's something Royal City would be proud of? Sure it will. When other schools come here, we look like we're something. I know when you drive over here, you don't think of much. It's just Royal City. But when you see this stadium and you see this building, we're something. Right? Pride of face, place, and name. What is it? Pride of face, place, and race. Those are the three biggest things, right? And pride. Um, or you think about, okay, what are some other buildings we're proud of? Uh, pyramids. Right? That's something that has brought some of the oldest construction in the world. It is the oldest construction in the world, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That we know of. Um, there's some other buildings. I heard somebody mention earlier today, is it the Louvre? The Louvre? Mm -hmm. The Louvre? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the art museum where the Mona Lisa is. Um, what are some other ones? Uh, maybe uh, the, the Eiffel Tower. What are some in America that we would be proud of? Maybe uh, anything by Frank Lloyd Wright. Anything by Frank Lloyd Wright. Anybody been into any any of his houses? Um, uh, no, I did a sandcastle one time. <laughs> well, Space Eagle is iconic. Space Eagle, yep. When you see it on a screen uh, that's not a Washington-based something, you think, "Well, they that's they're thinking of Seattle, right?" Um, you know, the Empire State Building, the White House, um, any dome 
right? Kingdom. Oh, that's gone. Uh, century Lane. Uh, I, I just aged myself, didn't I? Um, uh, there's so many, right? We're so proud of. We're so proud of these building projects. We are part of the building of God in Christ. You're reading Ephesians 2. Now, we're coming out of the context of we're not Jew or Gentile. And remember, what's the thing about the Jews? They had a building that God built that they were to go to, where you could go to the priest. Okay, but what was, what was interesting about that building? It started out as a tent. And it became a building. But one of the most things that stand out the most with that building is that it separated you from God. It separated the people from God. Now, they still counted the temple as a blessing because it's where they could go to find God. That's where they would go. To, they prayed towards Jerusalem, right? If they had to... Uh, do something in regard to their sin, make an offering. They went to Jerusalem, right? So that was a special place to the Jew. Right? But in reality, it was a place that separated the Jew and the Gentile from God. And that is a stark reminder of that. But we're part of a building that doesn't separate. We're part of a building that brings us close to God. In fact, we're the building where he dwells. It's not just some empty, abandoned building. Even this building. We like this building. We come here, we're able to gather with you folks, right? But there's nothing. When, when we're not here, no one's here. When we're not, we're not, when we're not here, no one's here. And God's not more here than wherever we're all at. Okay. He's only here in a special presence when all of us are here. But he's here in the sense that he's everywhere all the time. But we're part of a building at the Father's right hand where we are his edifice. Okay? We're being built into an edifice of God. And Peter says something very interesting. He says it's built the construction materials that make a building aren't bricks, they're people. And these kind of these are a special kind of brick. It's a kind of brick that speak. It's the most weird, it's, it's almost a, I don't know what kind of movie you call it when you have weird stuff happening. Like, what's the most weird movie you can think of where it's just like science fiction? Like, I don't know. Uh, is it, uh, what's the guy in the chocolate, chocolate factory? Willy Wonka, you know? That's a weird one, right? Yeah. That's a weird one. Uh, you know, anyway. This is kind of a science fiction thing. The building is built, and the bricks aren't normal bricks. The bricks start to speak. The bricks say things. 
and they make spiritual sacrifices and they serve in this temple. It's very strange. Let's read here. It says in verse 18, For through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. Now in the temple, were strangers and foreigners allowed into the temple? No. No. In fact, what would it just get done saying over in verse 11 and 12? Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at times ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. Why? Because you now have access because you're in Christ in the body where there's neither Jew or Gentile. Yeah. But your fellow citizens, your fellow political mates, Jew and Gentile are co-citizens. Okay? With the saints. Now I'll tell you a little something here. Right here, we, it says, but in strong contrast, you are co-citizens of ton agion kai oikioi. Okay? Now you guys are all like, okay, why are you doing this? I'm not one to try to make myself intellectual. That's not the point of why I did that. What you have here is a G sharp. Okay? So you have the article with the noun and the noun with a kai connecting the two. It's not saying, uh, it's saying these two groups are this, or there's a commonality between them. So Jew and Gentile are both saints. They're both members of this. This okioi word is kind of interesting. In some translations call it household. Others kind of go more of a different direction like a family. Family, a household. You understand what we're saying? How those might relate to one another? Um, it's only used two other times. I keep your finger here. Turn to Galatians. Galatians 6, you're going to remember this passage when I bring it up here. It says in verse 8, For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Okay. So the household of faith. Okay. The idea of household comes from the word house, oikos. Our word for house is oikos in the Greek. And this is a word that relates to it, built off the same root word. So we are co-citizens of the saints, consisting of the saints, even of the household of God, or members of the family of God, however you want to take that. 
quite interesting. We're no longer Gentiles, which are dogs, but we're of the family of God. Could that be said of a Jew? Were they ever called the family of God? I don't remember that one. I remember they were the they were the chosen people. I remember they were called the nation of Israel, the sons of Abraham, the sons of Jacob. Um, I don't remember them being called the family of God. So this is a step up from being a Jew, isn't it? It's a more precious designation. Verse 20, having been built, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, you come to this rendering, the English rendering, and it's confusing. Because a lot of people read this. And it's back in Ephesians 2, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. Ephesians 2.20. Thank you, Peggy. So here you have this foundation from the... uh, I just looked kind of mad. (laughs) It's not the foundation of the apostles. And I don't know why the cat's in the bag, you guys. Why is the cat in the bag? Why is the cat in the bag? What did the cat do that he had to be put in the bag? Oh. <laughs> Don't feed them. Let them get their food outside. Never mind. That, that sounds crap. I mean, okay. um, you're built upon the foundation from the apostles and prophets. Now, in the English, it reads of the apostles and prophets. It's uh, it's going to be a uh, ablative of sort source. I would say it's a foundation from. The apostles and prophets. And we, we put that together by comparing scripture with scripture. Um, let's look at, um, let's see, turn over to 1 Corinthians 3. And I think that's the best place to go to understand this. In that we're going to read uh, from verse 10. It says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, and that word master builder is architecton. We get our word architect, right? I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. So, what was Paul? Paul was an apostle. And what did he do? He laid the foundation. So what is the foundation from? It's from Paul. Paul was an apostle. As well as other apostles. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid. Who is what? 
Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now we could also take you to uh, Matthew 16 and remember what what did what did Christ say to Peter? He said, "You are Petros, which is a little stone." And he said, "I am Petra, Petra." Just changing from a off ending to an ah ending, changing from a little piece of gravel to a big piece of bedrock. Christ is the bedrock. He is the foundation. He was laid by the apostles. Now, we get into this foundation. Christ is the foundation. Let's illustrate this. we got a couple minutes, so we'll take time to do it. Turn with me to Luke 6 a little bit. Turn with me to Luke 6. We're going to use scripture. One of the best ways to illustrate life is to... Use scripture to illustrate, and so we turn to Luke 6, and this is a nice little illustration of what, how important foundation is. We read in verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? The one who, everyone who comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man who built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood rose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house. How many people use the word vehemently? You know, think about how a stream can how water, how powerful water is. I like to watch uh, this show. I, don't, I haven't watched it in years, but wa uh, White Water Gold or something like that, something in Alaska. And these two guys, they used to work in the on the river, on the, not the rivers, but um, dredge for gold. But they've gone to whitewater streams now because that's where you're going to find the gold. That's where you're going to find it, break, find billions or whatever. And it's hilarious because every year you watch them, and it's like they're they're starting over. The the rivers destroyed whatever whatever plan they had the year before, and it's like they're starting from scratch every year. They're investing all this money every year, and they're lucky if they can break even so they can do it, live to see another day. But I think they get paid by the show, so I think that's how they come. That's how they do it. <laughs> but you what you see in that show is how powerful water is. They, they seem to be doing well, and then they get a, a downpour, and then all of a sudden, everything they've done has been destroyed. And it's filled back in with all kinds of river rock. And they have to start over, pulling stuff out so they can get down to the bottom of the river where they think the gold is, not on, against the bedrock. See? That's what beating the hemently is. It's just, the water is merciless. It keeps coming and coming and coming. So it beat upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. 
the waters, the flood waters or the river waters couldn't move the house because the house was standing on bedrock, solid rock. Okay. But he that hears and does not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat that word and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great okay so that kind of has the, the importance of a foundation built not just that you have a foundation but it built in the right spot right on rock you need to build build on a solid rock right and have a good foundation Turn to Acts 16. Hopefully we can finish out in two verses here and not keep us late here. Acts 16. And here you have Peter and Silas in prison. And at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas hymnized or worshipped by hymnizing unto God, and the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. So this prison, its foundations were shaken by an earthquake, so that the jail became open. Okay. You guys ever uh, taken apart furniture, or or, uh, you know, maybe an old shed or something. And what happens when you start taking away that structure? There's a point where it seems solid, then all of a sudden it just kind of folds, right? <laughs> you take out that squareness, and nothing seems to, you, you probably aren't putting it back together again. You kind of got to start over. Everything just falls apart. Turn back to... Ephesians. And we'll close back in Ephesians chapter 2. It says here in Ephesians 2, we are built upon a foundation or the foundation from the apostles and the prophets. And it doesn't tell you here, but who's the foundation? Jesus Christ. And we're built on him. This building that we're a part of, Christ is the foundation. And we're built on him. And what is the chief cornerstone or capstone? Christ. So similar to love is the bond of maturity, what this building, Christ is the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning. He's the foundation. Well, let's even go further. He's the rock. Remember, that's even more, isn't it? When he says, I am the rock, I'm the bedrock. He's the rock that he then builds the foundation. The foundation is built on through apostles, which who's doing the building if the apostles are doing it? If, they're part of the, if the apostles were part of the body of Christ and they get all their nourishment from the head? Christ. 
So there, Christ is the he's the bedrock, he's the foundation, and then he's the capstone, holds it all together. Cornerstone, capstone. Cornerstone is when they were building, in order to have the whole building square, you had to start out with a cornerstone because the whole rest of the building is not going to be structurally sound if that first cornerstone is not square. Right. So what's the capstone? That's the top. Yeah. So which one is this? So is it the last one? one or is and this word cornerstone? It's acro, so it's. Uh, I think you can take it. It's you have illustrations in scripture of the the foundation part. I don't think it's that here because he talks about foundation. I'm the bed. I'm the foundation, okay. and you're built on that. Okay. I think it's coming to the other side of it. Oh, so that's just, but that's a explanation by an interpretation. It's not. It'd be that the final piece that holds it all together. So if you go back to uh, Roman and Greek building, yeah. they would often have all those arches, right? Right, and that was... And that piece right. in the middle is really what holds it. If you didn't have that piece in the middle... And the capstone is what, yeah, the capstone is what held the arches yeah. strong. Just look at it, it's like, you're at the top, you'd think... It's cool. <laughs> I'm reading it in the talk vision today, and it's interesting because it... They, they wouldn't know what a cornerstone is because they don't use stone to build their homes. But it uses the phrase that he is he is the uh, exactly and you know one poster. He's the he is the they, they use host and, and it says he's the number he's the first post true. He's the he is the most important post in the whole house. It's what you say the whole house is. Well, they probably built their homes very similarly, where you start with, because even teepees, even though they were, you know, a, this kind of structure, there was, like, you started with the first ones, and then yeah. you built from there. So no matter what structure you build, there's always that integral, yeah. you know, piece or two that, without it, the whole structure is gone. Yeah, sure. In the end, it's a metaphor in the yeah. same way that the body is a metaphor. Um, and it's something that we're to relate to in the sense of, you know, the more you know about building, the more this might mean to you. But the idea is, he's indispensable. He's indispensable. Without him, this building means nothing. You know, that's really the bottom line. Yeah, you know, you take God out of uh, the temple, and what's the temple? A bunch of worthless stones. And so I think that's the bottom line when you come down to it. But the lines above that bottom line are we're part of this building. And we're in a building that God dwells in, will dwell in. There'll be different ways God dwells in this building. And we'll look at that as we come back next week. This, this uh, building has positional aspects, it has future aspects, and the way God dwells will change in the future. Um, look to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these believers. We thank you for the questions. We thank you for the comments. Uh, we thank you how we are built up by these believers. 
Um, well, there's believers all around the world. These are the believers we are with. And so, Father, we thank you for them, and we supplicate for them, we intercede for them. And uh, we just thank you, Father, that you're a God that knows all, you care for all, and uh, you have our best interests at heart. Josh, just a comment on letting the cat out of the bag. Two origins, potential. One of them from on ships that used to punish people with a cat of nine tails. And it oh. just like scratching your back really crazy like a cat tiger could do. But they would put that, it was bound with leather, so they'd put it in a bag, keep it out of the salty ocean influence. I don't know if that one's likely. The other one has its origin in uh, merchants used to sell pigs. And sometimes when somebody wasn't looking, they'd swap the pig out for a cat. The person unsuspecting would go home and open it up and surprise! You let a cat out of the bag. I don't know if you're true. There you go. <laughs> See, then there's some, there's some controversy over that because Cats a lot lighter in those days, and they maybe you know meow as opposed to opposed to ellie. And they would yeah. talk about yeah. swapping uh, hit rabbits yeah. for cats, but uh, no, I don't know. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. I don't know if that added to the spiritual inside of the body. History is fun too. I was curious what Jim said this morning. How that. Translation handles that, that word that's translated godly. God, give me one verse on that. First Timothy 316. Is that what our daughter does today? Yeah. I think it's Brooklyn's playing. I think it's Elma practicing. Yeah. First Timothy 316. Yes. Where's the godliness part of it? Is it the end or the beginning? It says, It's just confessively or agreeably greatest uh, mystery of God. So when you say, you're not actually talking about the back end of the reason behind. From South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. No, that you're looking at. He became man and everybody saw him. I was there. And it might translate even closer. <laughs> so what was right yeah. before that? Not at that. Not at that. What did, um, what did they do? Push them all together like that? Open up the English. That's what I see. They're going to try. I think it has to do with this. No, I don't think they used the word. They floated and went. Yeah. yeah. See, and they, and they floated. Because it says. Yeah, I English is going to say something like great is the mystery of God. Great is the mystery of God. And then right after this is God is manifesting the flesh. Yeah, it's a name of Mount Doom. 
righteous and all the angels mm. are in God. Um, okay, 